Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We've been calling this series Gospel on the Ground. Because the gospel is not just something that we are to know or to even understand. It is something that should influence and infiltrate every area of our life. But sometimes you ask yourself this question, well, like, what is the gospel? Like, what is it supposed to do? What is it supposed to look like? What is, how is it intended to actually function in my life? And so James, who is a pastor some 2,000 years ago, is writing a letter to a group of Christians. They've been scattered all over. And this group of Christians, he's trying to help them to understand what does the gospel, what does the way of Jesus look like following Jesus in your everyday life? Gospel on the ground. I think I said last week that we were about nine or ten messages into this series. Well, I was wrong. (laughs) This is the 15th message in this series. It's just been so good. The time's been flying by. We have two paragraphs. We have this paragraph and two more. And we will wrap up our time together in the book of James. And my heart has been helped. This week's paragraph in particular, God has been using it in my life. And I trust that he will do the same in yours. I have entitled this message, Confident Patience. Confident Patience. We don't often use those two words in the same sentence, do we? I hope you'll see why after our time together in God's word this morning. Chapter 5, I want you to read along with me, beginning in verse 7. You read as I read aloud and allow the Spirit of God to do what He intends to do through this letter that He has written to us today. James writes and he says, be patient. Well, we could stop right there, couldn't we? Like we've already had a sermon. Be patient, therefore, in light of what we studied last week, brothers, He's changing the audience. If you were here last Sunday, he's coming back to the audience of a Christian group of people. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And may God bless the reading and now the application and the exposition of his word. If you're in the habit of keeping notes, I'd encourage you to do that, unless keeping notes really distracts you, then don't. But if you're in the habit of keeping notes, I want to give you the big idea that sits over top of this text. It's this. A functional gospel endures struggles 
with confident patience. This is how we endure and continue when life gets hard. Through patience, but not just a patience that's, well, I'm here because I don't really have any other choice, but a patience that is confident, a patience that is settled in your heart. Confidence changes you. Can we talk about the Phoenix Suns for a minute? I know, I know. I I probably just ruined the whole spirit of the service here today. I mean, what happened in that last game, folks? Confidence went down the tubes. I mean, they just gave up. Now, compare that to games three and four, when, like, Booker was out there, like, 75% or whatever, hitting just about everything he was throwing down. His confidence level was screaming high. What happened between those games and games five and six? I don't know. But confidence went down the drain. Confidence changes us. Think about, compare your confidence on test day. When you go to school, when you go to your class and it's test day, compare your confidence on the day that you planned and prepared and studied compared to the day that you're like, "Uh, I didn't know there was a test today. Boy, totally different levels of confidence. Or how about your level of confidence on your first day back to the gym using your seven-day trial (laughs) compared to six months in after you've been going three and four days a week. Like that first day back, your confidence level is like, man, everybody's watching me. Everybody's critiquing my form. I don't even know where to go. Like, what equipment am I even supposed to use? These people look like they can throw these 45s around like pancakes. Your confidence level is pretty low. But after you've been going for six or 12 months, three, four days a week, now you're like, man, I got this. I know where I'm going. I know what I got to do. I got my machinery. I know know how I'm going to get this done. Your confidence level increases. I remember the first time when I preached my very first message. I was 15 years old. That was like 25 years ago. 15 years old. I went to 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. You just can't go wrong with David and Goliath. I mean, he wins every time, you know. So I I don't know how much time I put into that particular message. I mean, if it was like 20 hours or 25 hours of preparation, I'm studying and I'm reading and I'm cross-referencing and then I'm standing in front of the mirror as a 15-year-old and I'm preaching to myself and then I'm finding like an empty classroom and I'm preaching to an empty room and I'm doing all this stuff and I finally get up to preach this message and I'm like 12 minutes in and I'm done. (laughs) Like that's it, that's all I got. Now, something never really, you never really shake that anxiety and that anticipation of getting up to preach. There's a a weightiness to that, but I can say that 25 years later, there is a greater level of confidence than when I was 15. Confidence changes you. What about confidence in our waiting? How confident are you? In your waiting, how confident are you when you are under the pressures of life? A functional gospel endures struggles with confident patience. Now, here's the reality struggles are inevitable. I mean, some of you on the way in, you were struggling, you were just wrestling with that 30 pound year old human in the back car seat, right? Like the struggle was real. Sometimes it's health, sometimes it's finances. Sometimes you're, just, you're a college student, you're just trying to kind of get through those classes, you're just trying to earn that degree, or you're, you're a young professional and you're just trying to get your feet on the ground and, and kind of start, start that career that you're in. Maybe you're, maybe you're up in years and you're an empty nester and you're, you're looking at retirement and now you're dealing with just the loneliness and like what's next in my life and 
Struggles in life are inevitable. They come to all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. But then those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have have connected our life to the one who made the exclusive claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so there are unique struggles and, and persecutions that come with those of us who have said, I am a follower of Christ. The world is not lining up to applaud those of us who are followers of Jesus. And so there are struggles that come just by being alive, and then there are struggles that come because we are also a follower of Christ. Just last week, at the beginning of chapter 5, he talked about the rich unbelievers who were oppressing the poor. Many of them were followers of Christ. So while struggles are inevitable, you and I are more likely to have an insecure patience than a confident patience. An insecure patience that is enduring because we don't really have a choice. This is just sort of our lot in life. But then we start to ask these questions when life gets hard and when life stays hard. We start to wonder, well, is God upset with me? Did I do something wrong? Did I mess something up? Is there something I was supposed to learn that I haven't learned and he just has to keep teaching me these lessons? And sometimes we have that sense of insecurity as we are waiting. It's an insecure patience but what James is doing today is he wants to give us a confidence boost in our waiting he wants you to wait with confidence knowing that God's proximity is still very close knowing that his gospel is still very applicable knowing that your heart can be settled and secure that God is faithful as we testified to one another a moment ago he is working while you are waiting so I want to talk to us today and really this text is going to speak to us today about a confidence as we are waiting. Not one that is insecure and wondering and like where is God and what happened and how is this all going down, but one that is settled and secure knowing that God is still in control. So a functional gospel endures struggles with confident patience. So this is what the outline is going to look like. We want to ask the question, how? How do I endure with confident patience? There are six reminders, and I'm telling you, the text just did all the hard work for me this week. They're right there in the text. I'm just going to scoop them off the top, and I'm going to give them to you. Now, I know there's six of them, so some of you are thinking, I got, like, reservations for Mother's Day lunch. Are we going to get out of here before 2 p.m.? Yes, I promise you we will. But I want to give these to you because I believe that they will bolster your confidence as you are waiting. So how do I endure with confident patience? Here it is, number one. I endure... With confident patience when I remember Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I want you to see it in the text. It's in verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until, that word until is is pregnant. There is this sense of expectation and anticipation until the coming of the Lord. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you believe that Jesus is coming again? We sing about it. We preach about it. We talk about it in church, but do we actually allow that truth to influence the way we live Monday through Saturday? That our great God and King is coming, and it is soon. Jesus made a promise in John 14. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he said this, I will come again. Jesus has yet to make a promise that he has not already either fulfilled or does not fully intend to fulfill. 
I will come again. Paul said in his letter to those early believers to comfort each other with those words. The words about his imminent coming and his return. And his coming will not just bring his rule and his reign and his regime. His coming will bring his very presence. When James writes here and says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming. The word coming there, coming of the Lord, has this sense of his arrival. The ancient Greeks would use this word to speak of the coming of a king or a dignitary. The arrival, because it's not just his agenda, but it's his very presence. And i got to tell you, as a father, oftentimes it's my presence that stills the heart of my children when they are in trouble, when they are hurting, when they are in need. I'm, I'm me being there with them. And so we see now in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. We know in part, but then we shall, be, we shall fully be known even as we are fully known. You know, the early Christians believed this. It's written into so many of these early letters that were written to them. And I'm just afraid that we as Western American Christians today have lost sight of this truth and this reality that Jesus is in fact coming again. Do you realize that his coming is now sooner than it used to be? I mean, the coming of Christ is sooner today than it was last Sunday when we gathered together in this room. The coming of Jesus is closer now than it was when you entered into that valley of the shadow of death that you're in right now. Jesus is coming again, and it is an imminent return. It is a confident return that we know it is going to be soon that he will come back. And what this does is this gives us perspective because all of our trials are temporary, every single one of them. You might be here, and you might be carrying the burden of, of serious health issues that you know there will never be a remedy this side of your life. And yet even that, friend, even that is temporary because someday Jesus will come again and he will right every wrong and he will remove all of the pain and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I'm afraid that we have lowered our eyes from the eastern horizon. When is the last time you looked up to the eastern sky and said, Jesus, you could come back today? We are so focused on this earth and on this life and on our struggles and on our problems. And James is just saying, lift up your eyes. I mean, he says it like three or four times throughout this paragraph. Jesus is coming. His coming is at hand. He is standing at the door like it's just any moment. It is the very next event on the historical timeline that Jesus is coming again. Are you bearing some burdens today? Are you carrying some weight? Are you going through some struggles? Are you going through some difficulties? Child of God, let your heart be encouraged. Lift up your eyes. All of your troubles are temporary. And so we endure with confidence. I endure with confident patience when I remember that Jesus is coming again. Number two, I endure with confident patience when I remember that God is faithful. Oh, we sang about it and we testified about it and it was so sweet to hear what God is doing in other people's lives and it is true and oftentimes we get so focused on what we are going through that we lose sight of the faithfulness of God. I want you to see it in the text. It's the second half of verse 7 into verse 8. I love this. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, 
for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Farmers know about the faithfulness of God. Now, I don't know if anybody in here makes a living farming. Anybody? Like that, that's your livelihood? That's kind of what I suspected. Nobody, okay? So we're a little, we're a little removed from, from this illustration here. We live in Phoenix. There's not a lot of farming. There's a little bit here and there, but not a whole lot. And none of us are really making a living doing that. And if we did make a living doing that, we would irrigate, right? We would bring the water in. So we're a little removed from this, this illustration here, but I love this. As a matter of fact, this is one of my favorite metaphors when it comes to the Christian life, farming. In ancient Palestine, there were, there were two major rains that a farmer would have waited for. The early rain would have come in the fall. It would have come just in time when he had planted the seed to allow that seed to germinate. And then there was the late rain that would have come in the spring just in time for the harvest. The early rain and the late rain. And do you know what the farmer would do in between those rains? Wait. Everything that he could have done was already done. All of the work took place before the early rain, before that first rain when that seed would germinate, working the field and plowing the field and clearing the field and planting the seed. All of his work was essentially done. Now he just waits. And I got to tell you, it wasn't like a brief amount of time. We're talking like October to maybe March or April, just waiting, trusting that God will do what only God can do. And so, yes, the Christian life is very much about farming. We are doing a great work, and there is a labor, and there is a toil, and there is a sweat. But then we are trusting, and we are believing, and we are, we are, we are leaning into God to do what only He can do. And in those moments, you need to be reminded, child of God, that He is faithful. He has sent the rain in the past, and He will send the rain now. And He will send it precisely when you need it. If that rain, if the early rain came late... It didn't give the seed time to germinate. Even the timing of the early and the late rain was valuable and important to the farmer. He was trusting God not just to send the rain, but to send it at the precise moment when he needed it. He was trusting that God would be faithful. And so here we see the faith side of the faith works dynamic. Yes, there is much toil and work, but there is also a waiting and a resting and a trusting and a believing. And so let God's faithfulness settle your heart while you wait. Look at what he says in verse 8. You also, referencing back like the farmer, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Waiting is a slow work. It is a slow work work, but it is also a settling work. Waiting will do something to your heart that nothing else will do. And as you wait, remember and recall the faithfulness of God who has been good to you in the past, who has not forsaken you, who has not left you. God hasn't changed. He will send that rain at the exact moment when you need it because he is the Lord of the harvest. City Point Church is just over four years old. We're a church plant, if you're newer to us. And so in those early days, we were mobile. And so we would pack up a 12-foot trailer, and we'd go to a different venue that we didn't own, and we would set up church. And the very first venue that we met in was the Improv Comedy Club on University and Rural. And I love it. Somebody always laughs when I say that. I'm glad you laughed. You should laugh. It's a comedy club. And so for a year, we were there at the comedy club, and we would set up shop. 
we would clear the tables. I'd stand up on the stage. I'd give my best attempt at some jokes. I'd preach the gospel. You know, we'd have a good time. Well, about nine or ten months, actually a little over a year, into that, COVID hit. So we went online. When we came back from that, several months later, we were still at the improv. But only a few weeks after, we got a notice from the property management that we could no longer, actually the improv got the notice, that they could no longer rent to us as a church. That property management would not allow the improv to rent to a religious organization. I got that email on a Monday morning, and we had to be out. We couldn't be there that weekend. So we were homeless on Monday as a church. We didn't have a place to meet. Like, we were dependent on that facility. And so here we are, doing the work of the Lord without a place to do it. We were dependent on God to send the rain. And can I tell you, God was faithful. In just the right moment, I called up a friend that has a a facility downtown. It's called Campus Christian Center. I said, hey, you've got a facility. Could Could we rent it from you? He said, well, you can't really rent it right now but because I've got another church that's already renting it, but let me check with them. And he checked with that other church that was renting the facility, and they said, hey, turns out the next two weeks we don't need the facility. We're going to be online for two more weeks. If they want to use it for two weeks, they can use it for two weeks. So we got that temporary spot for two weeks at C3. And in that two weeks' time... God opened up another door for us to meet somewhere else at the Moxie Hotel on Apache and Rural, and that became our venue for the next year. But what that reminded me of is that God can provide what you need just when you need it. In that moment, for those two weeks, we we needed a spot for two weeks, and there was a spot for two weeks. Friends, that is the early and the latter rain, just when you need it. God shows up. He's faithful. It's who he is. And when you're waiting and when you're struggling and when you're not sure where God is, remember and recall the faithfulness of God. He's not forgotten you. Do what you can do. You're the farmer. Work the field. But then trust the Lord of the harvest to send the rain. I endure with confident patience when I remember Jesus is coming, when I remember God is faithful. Number three, when I remember attitude is important. Attitude is important. Look at verse 9. He says, do not grumble against one another. I love that word grumble. Like one of my kids put that word in the translation, it seems, you know. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And if this sounds familiar, if your eyes will go up the page or across the page to chapter 4 and verse 11, he said something very similar. He said, do, you speak, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. It's God. So when you speak evil, when you have a bad attitude towards somebody else, you are essentially becoming a judge to them when there is only one who should be judging, and it's God. Now, James has already warned us about our words in this letter. He said a lot of things, if you remember that message several weeks ago, about how our words are like the bit in the horse's mouth. It has the ability to steer the whole body and move the whole body. Our words have the destructive power of fire, and they can just consume. Our words are a restless evil full of deadly poison. But now what he's talking about is our words before they're articulated. Our words when they're still underneath the surface. Do not grumble against one another. That word grumble has the idea of to sigh or to groan. It's like this internal frustration and it's directed at other people. 
So we've got, we're having this bad attitude towards other people because of the struggles that we're going through. And when we're under trials and when trials persist, we are tempted to deflect our pain onto other people. You've heard that saying, hurt people hurt people. Like That's what we do. I, I, am, I am hurt right now. I, I am struggling. I am under stress. I am under some pain and some difficulties of life. And so to feel better about what I'm going through, I'm going to kind of deflect some of that and try to put some of that on you. And so we hurt people with our words. We use critical words. When we obsess over pointing out other people's problems, we use comparative words. We try to measure our problems against their problems. We use bitter words because we can't figure out why your problems aren't worse than my problems. Why do I have it so hard? It's not fair, we start to say. Well, what's not fair? We're comparing one with another. We start to use judgmental words because I'm hurting. I want to make assumptions about you. And I want to tear you down and assume some things about you that are just not true. We start to use envious words. Why do they have it so easy when I've got it so hard? We start to use hurtful words because now I'll start to feel better about my pain if I'm starting to hurt you with my words. And the people who end up getting this the most in our life are those who are closest to us. And when we are, when we are in these trials and these, the fire of life, oftentimes our words and our attitude starts to shift towards other people and we start hurting people in the way that we speak about them and the way that we speak towards them. And James wants to remind us that when life is staying hard, your attitude is important. The words that you speak towards other people. And so he says, be careful because your attitude is going to be judged. Now, Christians will not be judged for their sin. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Christ has taken all of our, the judgment for our sin, but we will be judged for what we do with this life, how we live it. And that judgment includes our attitude, our words, our spirit towards other people. And if we were to hone in and zero in on the context of this unique paragraph, it is those words in the context of when life is hard. Our attitude when we are under the stress and strain of life. Be careful. A few of us had a mutual friend. Her name was Jenna. And Jenna was a vibrant woman. She was full of life. She was extremely talented. She was in her early 40s. She had a lot of life left. She had, she had an incredible mind. She was the kind of person that would come into a room and just the room would light up. And there were, there, she, she brought like the spark with her. She was an incredible friend. She had a, a loving husband. She had two young children. And in her early 40s, she came down with cancer. And that cancer began to wreck her body and wreck her life, and it ultimately took her life. And for those of us who knew Jenna, we would, we would watch her. We were watching her as she went through this. And you know what stood out to me in particular about this lady? Was her attitude. In that trial... Never, never trying to put that pain on someone else. Never trying to blame God for it. Never, never trying to just have a pity party about woe is me. But, but understanding the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God even in that difficult circumstance. She understood the power of the right attitude in that trial. Attitude is important. Your confidence will increase in your patience while you wait when you understand that your attitude is important. Number four, we're just going to keep working through it here. 
I endure with confident patience when I remember example is helpful. Example is helpful. I want you to see it again in the text. This is verse, verse 10 of chapter 5. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Take the prophets as an example of suffering. That word suffering speaks of pain related to evil. But then he also says, as an example of patience. That word patience comes from two words, one meaning long and the other meaning anger. In other words, a long time to get to anger, patience. And this word is almost always used in the context of people. Go figure, right? Patience towards people. When people are part of that struggle in your life, a, a long suffering and enduring for a long period of time, he says, take the prophets as an example. And you know what he says about these prophets? This is so interesting to me. They were, they were speaking in the name of the Lord. In other words, they were doing the work of God. They weren't running off living for themselves or getting caught up in the things of this life. They were actually right in the center of God's will, doing what God desired for them to do, and yet they were suffering and needing to be patient. Moses, he endured leading a stiff-necked and rebellious people. Elijah faced the hostility from the evil king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Jeremiah endured so much sorrow that he was known as the weeping prophet. John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, was imprisoned for preaching repentance in the coming of the Messiah, and ultimately he was beheaded. We don't have to go very far to get these examples and to see these people. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says, What more shall I say, for the time would fail me to, talk, to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets? He continues, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Why do we look to the prophets? Because we can benefit from the lessons that others had to learn. And we gain perspective on the suffering and the difficulty that we are going through. And we see once again the faithfulness of God to them and maybe the greater picture of what God was doing in and through that trial and that difficulty. Examples show us that suffering is not new to us. It's not new to me. Pain has this way of narrowing our focus and forcing us into isolation. All we, can, all we can see is what we're going through. All we can think about is what we're dealing with. And we miss what maybe others are going through. Or maybe we misunderstand how God might even want to use your pain and your difficulty as an example to somebody else. We get so focused on what we're dealing with that we miss the greater plan of God. The greater work of God. And so you don't have to go far to look for good examples. You can go to the scriptures, you can see the examples of the prophets, you can see the examples of even the early Christians, you can, you can go to your gospel community here at City Point Church, and we testified a moment ago to one another, and we were reminded of the faithfulness of God, and we can gain confidence from the examples of other people that are doing life with Jesus around us. I would also encourage you, read some of the great Christian biographies. 
and see the examples of people who've gone on before who gave their life for Jesus and it wasn't always easy. Women like Corey Tenboom, who gave her life to rescuing Jews from the Germans in Nazi Germany. And as a result of hiding them away, her own life was, was taken to those concentration camps. She was persecuted for her attempts and for her efforts to rescue the Jews. And she suffered and was persecuted for her faith. And you can read about that in her biographies. Or you can read about George Mueller, who determined that he was never going to ask for money to take care of the orphans that were under his care. Instead, he was going to pray, and he was going to trust God to send the rain just when he needed it. And time and time and time and time again, you read in the biographies and the autobiographies of George Mueller how God was faithful. Or you can read the example of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, who was trying to reach an unreached people group that had never even heard the name of Jesus before, and he was trying to cultivate relationship with them and take the gospel to them. And in his attempt to take the gospel to them, he was killed by the very people that he was attempting to reach with the gospel, martyred for the faith. And what's interesting about the story of Jim Elliott is he was, he was frustrated by the lack of missions effort and by the lack of people willing to go to the mission fields and give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet after he gave his life, there was a great swell and a great wave of people who responded to the need of missions. Read these as examples. Our hearts are encouraged. Our confidence is bolstered as we patiently wait. I endure confident patience. I endure with confident patience when I remember that example is helpful. Number five, James just continues right through it here. I endure with confident patience when I remember that staying is powerful. Staying is powerful. Look at it in verse 11. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is the oldest authored book in the Bible. And in spite of its age, it's amazing how much this book still resonates today with people who are going through difficult times. And how the book of Job is an example of God's compassion and God's mercy and God's faithfulness. But what we see about Job is that he was steadfast and he just determined that he was going to stay. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, in just a matter of, of a few short days, his livestock were destroyed. His ten children were crushed by the house that fell upon them. His body was covered in sores. His reputation was ravaged. He was interrogated by judgmental friends who weren't really much of friends at all. He lost all sense of God's presence. And his wife said to him, why don't you just curse God and die and get out of this. In just a matter of a few short days. And yet James wants us to be reminded of how Job was steadfast. He just didn't quit. He stayed. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And what I love about that is that it doesn't mean that you don't have questions. It doesn't mean that you don't argue with God some. It doesn't mean that you're not wrestling your current situation and you're asking yourself questions like, God, where are you in all of this? I mean, Job was doing all of that. Read the book. You'll see it. It's not like Job was just sitting there like, man, God's got this. I'm going to be good. Like, it was tough. And you see that and you sense that in the reality of the story of Job. And yet, when you zoom out from Job's story and that narrative, you see that Job just 
stayed. He was faithful. He didn't quit. God has goals for you. God's trying to teach you some things. Our kids are really excited because summer break's coming. It's coming fast. It's coming faster than I would like as a parent. But it's coming. And as it comes, we as parents, Amy and I are going to sit down. We're going to put together a schedule for our children because we've got some goals for them. Now, they've got some goals too. It includes something like sleeping in and eating cereal and swimming, and that's about it. But we've got some goals over and above that because we want to see some things accomplished in their life. And yes, there's going to be some fun and there's going to be some downtime and there's going to be some vacation and all of that. But there's going to be some chores and there's going to be some responsibilities because we've got some goals. Now, not everything on that schedule and on that list is going to be stuff that they want to do, but it serves a purpose. And I want you to understand this morning that God's got goals for you. He's got some things for you, and they're not all comfortable, and they might not be what you would put on your schedule for the summer, but God's going to put it on your schedule this summer because he's got some things that he wants to accomplish in your life. Look at what it says in the second half of verse 11. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. There it is. God had some goals for Job. God had a purpose in his pain. All of your trials are father-filtered. God's doing some stuff. God's working some things. You might not like it. I get it. I don't like everything that God's doing in my life, but I've got to lean into it. And if you quit, and if you throw in the towel, you're going to miss what God's purposes are through that trial. Don't quit. Staying is powerful. Think about the goals that were accomplished through Job's trial. Job's faith came out of the fire as pure gold. Fire is intense. It's hot. It's uncomfortable but it brings purity to gold. Job knew God, not just intellectually, but now Job knew God uh, experientially. Job had experienced God for himself. He knew that God was compassionate and merciful. God doubled Job, Job's blessings at the, end of his, at, the end of his, at the end of the story. All of the livestock and his children, everything came back in double. Satan was proven wrong. That's a pretty good purpose. Let's just kind of get a mark against the devil on this one, right? Like that purpose was accomplished through the story of Job. And now you and I have Job's story as evidence that pain has purpose. These are the things, these are the purposes that God was accomplishing through the life of Job. Think about the purpose that God's trying to accomplish through your heartache right now. Through your difficulty and through your struggle, God has goals for you. And it might be a little counterintuitive. You might want to run. But can I encourage you? Stay. Staying is powerful because God begins to accomplish his purposes in your life. Number six, and finally this morning, we, we want a confidence boost in our patience and in our waiting, and here it is. I endure with confident patience when I remember integrity is indispensable. Integrity is indispensable. Verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now this is an interesting verse. There's a little bit of debate as to where this verse falls in the context. I've tucked it into this paragraph, and I believe there's evidence to that, and that, that's a reasonable understanding of this verse. But what James is pressing into here is that integrity is of utmost importance. 
He says, above all, do not swear. Now, he's not talking about cursing here. He's talking about oaths. Oaths. Now, this is very similar to if you were, read, you, you were to read the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5. Jesus says something almost identical to this. So James is probably echoing the teaching of Jesus when he talks about not swearing by heaven and earth or the temple or the things that are in the temple, but let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Don't make these oaths unnecessarily. An oath was a verbal contract. And by the way, oaths are all throughout the Old Testament. God made some of them. I don't believe that this is a prohibition against all oaths. If you ever have to go to a courtroom and put your hand on the Bible, or if you stand at an altar and when you get married, you make a vow, you make an oath to that person. I don't think this is a prohibition against all of that. But there was a unique problem that James, echoing Jesus, was addressing here. And that is that some were attempting to get out of their oath by swearing or making a promise by something of lesser importance. As long as I'm not swearing by God or the Lord or that and taking his name in vain and I'm swearing by something of lesser value like by heaven or by earth, then I can get out of it. And this was happening and this was reoccurring and this was a problem. And so oaths were being broken. Promises were being broken because people thought, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't swear by God and put that under his name and so I can just sort of escape this and it's no big deal. Like when we were kids and we crossed our fingers and put it behind our back and said, you know, my fingers were crossed. I don't really have to keep that promise. Some of that was going on and that was a problem. And so what James is saying is, say what you mean and mean what you say. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. So what is the application to this immediate context? The application is this. When life gets hard, sometimes we say desperate things. We make promises that we don't intend to keep. We say whatever we need to say to get out of the pain. They're called foxhole conversions. Somebody's in a moment of life and death situation and they make this promise to God. God, if you get me out of this... I'll spend the rest of my life serving you, or I'll never do that again, or I'll stop doing this again. And James is saying, instead of being dramatic, just be real. Instead of making promises that you don't intend to keep when life is hard, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Stick to your word and trust God to do what only he can do. And then he says this, so that you may not fall under condemnation. That word condemnation is a word that was specifically used to unbelievers. And so what he's getting at here is that if somebody is consistently saying yes but then doing no or saying no and then doing yes, if they are not a person of their word and it's a habitual pattern, they may actually be evidencing that they are not truly followers of Christ. You don't want to fall under that kind of condemnation. So when life stays hard, keep confident patience through the integrity of your words. Say what you mean. And mean what you say. So here's that big idea. A functional gospel endures struggles with confident patience. I don't know how you would describe your patience. I don't know if you would lean more towards the insecure patience. Where every time something goes wrong, you're wondering, man, am I still good with God? Is he upset at me? Is, did I miss something? Did I, did I mess up somewhere along the way? Maybe you've got that insecurity. Or if you would say, man, I'm more towards the confident. But wherever you might be, James wants to give some confidence boost to you today. How does he do that? He does that through these reminders that Jesus is coming. 
God is faithful. Attitude is important. Example is helpful. Staying is powerful. And integrity is indispensable. We want to learn to live this morning. We want to trust God to make application on this text. I've got three questions for you that will help us to do that. And so as you've been engaging with this text, as the Spirit of God has been speaking to you this morning, I want you to consider these questions and how you would respond. And the first one is really of utmost importance, and it's this. Are you ready for Jesus' return? Are you ready? We've talked about the reality, the imminent return of Christ, that He is coming and He is coming soon. Are you ready for that? You say, well, John, how do I know that I'm ready for that? 1 John 2 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at His coming. The only way for you and for me to have confidence at the coming of Christ is to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. That's it. You don't gain confidence at the second coming of Christ because you came to church this morning. You don't gain confidence even because you did your best to be a really good person or a really good dad or a really good mom or just a really good human being and an individual in society. That's not what puts you in good standing and right standing with God at His coming. The only way for you to be ready for the coming of Jesus is for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you? Is that something that you know? that He is your Lord and Savior. And if that's not true in your life, or if you don't know that to be true, friend, today, today, today you can know that for sure by simple faith. Believe that Jesus is who He said He was, that He is the very Son of God. Believe that Jesus died the death that you deserved for your sin, but rose again the third day so that you don't have to continue in your sin, but now you can have life in His name. And if you will believe that by faith, you will become His son, you will become His daughter, and you can have confidence at His coming. If that's you this morning, and you are confident, you know Jesus personally, my second question is for you. Where in your life, follower of Jesus, does patience need a confidence boost? Where in your life have you been lacking some of that confidence to wait? You've been a little insecure. Go back to the list from this paragraph and just let it, let whatever, whatever truth that Pastor James has been unpacking for us here today from this paragraph. Let it resonate and encourage and bolster your confidence. Jesus is coming. God is faithful. You've got these examples. You can just stay and know that God has purpose in your pain, whatever it might be. Let that reminder establish your heart. And then number three, how might God want to use your story of patience as an example to someone else? How might God want to use what you're going through? Don't get so narrow focused. Don't get so interested and, and sight set on what you're going through that you miss the reality that God might want to use your life as an example to somebody else, to draw them to Christ, to draw them to the faithfulness of God. God wants to use you in that way. So I hope that we will go into this week with a little more confidence maybe than the way we started the week today. 
knowing that whatever you might be going through, whatever pain might be going on in your life or struggles or difficulties, that God is true to his word and he wants to give you that courage and that confidence to continue. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for these moments once again, how short and sweet they have been, and yet we are trusting you uh, to continue to do your work. I pray that if there's somebody here today and they don't know, they don't have it settled in their heart that they are a son or a daughter of God, that they have had their sin forgiven through a personal relationship with Jesus, I pray that today that they would trust you by faith and know that it's not by their works, it's not by their good deeds, but it's only through the finished work of Jesus that they can have a personal relationship with you. You will forgive all of their sin. You will remove the debt completely. You will pay it in full, and they will have new life in your name. I pray that today, by faith, they would do that. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are under the weight of a trial. And it might be one that they will endure for the remainder of their life. But I pray that they would not travel this life below with an insecure patience, wondering and fretting and worrying and scheming because they're not sure where you are. But may they trust and know and believe that you are a good and a faithful God. Do what you need to do. You are the Lord of the harvest. Send the rain. We will trust you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.